Hi, everybody. This is Frank Fear, and welcome to Under the Radar. Today's topic is about something I value enormously, citizen journalism. Citizen journalism happens when everyday people like you and me, who aren't journalists, take the time to study an issue of public concern, write about it, and then have their writing published in the public domain. The most common option, letters to the editor, have been a regular feature in local newspapers since the mid-19th century. I remember as a teen writing my very first letter to the editor. I wrote about a decision made by local government with which I really disagreed. In fact, it pissed me off. And so I decided to write about my angst, and much to my surprise, the local newspaper published my letter. And while letters to the editor have been with us for a long time, since the mid-19th century, as I mentioned, it's interesting to know that op-eds um, have not been with us for a very long time. Op-ed stands for opposite to the editorial page. Almost every daily newspaper has an editorial board, and from time to time, that board will enunciate positions, opinions in the form of editorials. So the op-ed, or people who didn't serve on the board, speaking out about various issues would be on the opposite page. When op-eds were first launched about a century ago, authorship was restricted, believe it or not, to newspaper employees only. It wasn't until the 1970s that the New York Times decided to open up opportunities so that everyday people across the country could express their opinions in long form, mostly about 500 to 800 words well beyond what people could write in a letter to the editor, which usually was capped at about 250 words. Thankfully, the idea that the Times champion proliferated to news outlets across the country. But there's a problem. If you look at who's writing op-eds these days, you'll find that the space is being dominated by experts, executives, and appointed and elected officials people who have a reason to speak out and who will try to influence you. More often than not, today's op-eds are free advertising to promote a preferred policy or point of view and to applaud an organization's program or service. Thank goodness for the internet though. The internet has what I call democratized citizen voice. Anybody and everybody can express that voice. So it's opened up many opportunities to write and to get that writing before the public, beyond just writing comments about what other people have written. And today's guest is one of those persons who's taken advantage of that opportunity. I became familiar with Roger Barbie and his work when he submitted an article to the open access site that I manage, the Sports Column. He's been writing for us ever since, nearly 50 articles to date. We published over 4,000 articles in the last eight years from people just like Roger, and we're very proud of that. Roger, it's great to have you with us today on Under the Radar. Frank, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Well, again, Roger, uh, I admire you and your work so much, and uh, I think you're just a wonderful example of what I've been talking about in the intro as a citizen journalist. I think it would obviously be helpful to our audience for you to introduce yourself to our audience, where you live, where you grew up, what you did professionally before 
focusing your time on citizen journalism. So would you please give us that background? Well, Frank, uh, my wife and I, Mary Ann, we live on Lake Norman uh, in Mooresville, North Carolina, which is just north of Charlotte. Uh, and oddly enough, after uh, being away from my hometown uh, as a professional educator in, Washington, in and around Washington, D.C., I came back to North Carolina in retirement. I grew up in a little cotton mill town about 20 miles from here, Kannapolis. But here I am uh, back in North Carolina. I left in 1968 after I graduated from college. And I taught secondary uh, schools, uh, independent schools, Catholic and public schools. I was an administrator. I coached cross country and track and field and wrestling. And uh, I just say I loved every day of teaching. Uh, there were moments that were difficult, just like in anything. But those 40 years went by very quickly. Uh, but I loved it all. Great. Certainly your background as an educator comes through in, in what you write and how you express yourself. And I certainly, as a, as a fellow educator, appreciate that. You and I first connected uh, when I uh, read work on your personal blog, Southern Intersections. Uh, why did you decide to start a personal blog? And what are some of the topics you've covered? Well, I think anyone would agree with me, at least I hope they would, that it's really tough to get published in the standard avenues of uh, publication. I uh, had self-published a book of essays uh, about five years ago, uh, but I asked one of my son, one of our sons to set up a blog for me, and I named it Southern Intersections because I wanted it to be about people and issues and events and ideas that intersect here on Lake Norman. Uh, they don't have to be Southern, but they intersect here with my interest. And so I got into that. Uh, also, I've been published a little bit in the Washington Post and uh, Memoir Magazine and Birmingham Arts Journal, but the blog has been my uh, mainstay, and I've covered everything, the things that interest me, uh, sports, athletics, uh, politics I'm interested in, religion, uh, but everything I write, I try to make it about the people, that uh, it's the people who make any topic interesting. Uh, for instance, uh, with the uh, COVID-19 virus, uh, and uh, all of the cancellations of sports events, I was interested when I saw uh, a piece that uh, uh, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Mavericks, uh, said he was uh, reaching out to help the arena workers uh, and who were displaced and who couldn't work because of the cancellations. And I think that's... Uh, you know, just a marvelous story right there, what that man did. Uh, I'm not a fan of the NBA, but I have to say, since this virus, I've been really, really pleased with the way he and other owners have uh, reacted, and many players. Uh, so uh, just try to make it about people and, and whatever the outer 
reason for writing this, then so be it. But it's all about the people. It's about the people involved. Yeah, we uh, really enjoyed and appreciated uh, publishing your piece on, on Mark Cuban. And as you said, uh, amid uh, just the devastation of this pandemic, uh, internationally, good things are happening, bringing people together, uh, people expressing their values. But as you know, as well as I, because I'm in the same boat, uh, oftentimes when you express your opinions, what I call commentary, uh, it's, uh, it's not always a positive thing, uh, as some people perceive it. Uh, and uh, uh, they will react to the writer's uh, position about the world. Uh, but one of the things that struck me about you, and I think all commentators, is that there is a position about the world. There is a core set of values, which no matter what the topic, uh, you draw on that core position as you express your opinion. So you could you say a few words about your uh, worldview and how that worldview gets expressed in your, in your writing? Well, I would hope, Frank, that uh, anyone who read uh, anything I wrote would come away uh, with the sense that uh, I'm a real believer in the Sermon on the Mount. I work very hard to follow that lesson. And, and that's being that we've got to take care of each other. We've got to love one another, respect one another, and take care of each other. We don't always have to agree, but we have to take care of each other. And I think it's really important. And that's one of the things that strikes me so much about Mark Cuban is, you know, him taking care. Those words that he used, I reached out. And and I think that's uh, what I would like for anyone that reads me with that uh, uh, I admire and and thank the world of people and their uh, capabilities, their, their potentials. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up because I remember that being the lead part of that article about it's not only what he did, but the fact that he reached out to workers and asked. And uh, I was just on the phone today about another matter and it just struck me about when I was talking with a professional in a very different domain that reaching out to citizens never crossed that person's mind. The person is an expert and just went ahead and did what experts do. So this notion of, of reaching out is something that I always try to communicate with my students and really the expectations would, would be when they became full-time professionals and many of them were as they were going to graduate school, that's exactly what they would do. But I, I do know in your writing, there are certain things that you express where there has been pushback. Uh, I wrote a, an article recently about horse racing and there's been significant pushback, criticism of, of uh, my writing. And it really gets dicey, as you know, when you take a position uh, that is not necessarily consistent with other peers in the field. And you recently wrote a piece dealing with wrestling that I know was different from some of your very own wrestlers from years ago who are now in co the coaching ranks. Could you talk about writing commentaries when you cut against the grain and there's pushback in terms of your writing with a special focus talking about that article about wrestling? Well, the, the article you referred to is uh... There's an organization, not uh, not 
governed by the NCAA. It's, it's the uh, National Collegiate Wrestling Association. And it's been around since, I, I think, the mid-90s. Uh, and it's for club wrestling. And there's tons of colleges, junior colleges, uh, universities that have club wrestling. They don't participate in, in the NAIA or Division One through or three or any of that. But this organization held its tournament in Allen, Texas, on March 12 through 14. And not all the colleges attended sent wrestlers, but over 600 wrestlers went to this tournament. And it was held, as I say, in, in Allen, Texas, I think outside of Dallas. And schools like East Carolina, uh, university sent wrestlers, Liberty University, uh, the Apprentice School down in Eastern Virginia, uh, and all of these people went, and these colleges allowed wrestlers to attend in the midst, just when this virus was breaking out. And, you know, you don't have to be a wrestler or a wrestling fan uh, to know there's a lot of contact there. And I just couldn't I could not believe the irresponsibility of college administrators, coaches, uh, who allowed this to happen. And my only hope is that and pray that no wrestler or coach or official or worker in that tournament will be a carrier of this uh, horrible disease. And uh, 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 I've heard comments from a, uh, people, uh, some of my uh, wrestlers in high school, uh, they've commented about it. Uh, they were like me, most of them, that they couldn't believe it. But one who's heavily involved in East Carolina University, he uh, he didn't like it. He, he said, there's nothing wrong with it. and It's a lot of fake news. And, and I said, well, let's hope that none of your kids are infected. Uh, but once you once you write something, then it's out there. And I think as for me, I just, uh, uh, I try to believe the words of Don Winslow, my, my good friend out in California is that whatever you write will be there a long time. The opinions of people will fade away. Uh, and people will agree or disagree, but what I want is to engender discussion and thought and try to give people a chance of saying, oh, I never thought about it that way, or I never looked at it that way. So uh, you just, you know, you send it out there, you have to be willing to take some heat for it sometimes. Yeah, so true. Uh, and I love those questions because I think that uh, truly shows that you are an educator in what you're writing. Uh, if you're trying not just to influence opinion, that's not the issue. I've never felt in reading your writing that you were trying to tell people how to think or what they should do, but giving them a perspective. And for some people, it may be just that, that they say, boy, I never thought about it that way, or thanks for sharing it with this framing. Uh, I'd never considered that way of looking at the issue. Uh, that's, that's really important. You know, some people who are listening today may be thinking about dipping their toe in this pool that I've been calling citizen journalism, and they may not know how to start. Uh, in my intro, I talked about letters to the editor, which is uh, a typical uh, first step for citizen journalists. But I noticed in the articles that you submit to us 
at the sports column, a lot of the ideas that you share really are stimulated, it seems, by reading the daily paper and having a reaction to what you're reading. Is that fair to say that, that those articles stimulate your thinking? And what are other uh, domains that get you thinking about uh, something that eventually becomes an article? Well, I think I, I agree with you. First of all, if uh, someone's interested in uh, writing uh, in, in citizen journalism, I think it's a great phrase. Uh, letters to the editor, a great way to, to begin. Uh, for me, uh, I read quite a bit. I've always been a reader, uh, not much of a student, but I was always a, and still continue to read Um and I don't think you can be a writer if you're not a reader. You've got to read other people. Uh, I know I'm, since I'm retired, it's easier to read now, but, uh, I read, uh, I read in hand the daily newspaper here in North Carolina. I, uh, read, uh, as much as I can, at least three, maybe four <laughs> newspapers online. And, and that's all kinds. I read everything. Thing from the Washington Post to Fox News. I like to expose. I, I like to see what people like uh, Leonard Pitts feels, or or George Will, or Kathleen Park, or <laughs> any number uh, to to have a range. Not to don't read the people that you agree with, because then you you never. You don't fertilize your brain, I don't think. And I think that if if, if someone wanted to begin, uh, as you said, start with letters to the editor. Um, when I was growing up, there was a syndicated columnist, Sidney J. Harris, who wrote out of Chicago. I think he wrote for the Chicago Tribune, but he was syndicated. And I've never forgotten his his advice to anyone who wanted to be a writer. And it was something like, if you have something to say, don't worry about style. If you have nothing to say, not all the style in the world will suffice. Mm. And I think that's uh, true. I have a small writing group at church. We meet every Wednesday and uh, I encourage them just to write, not to worry about punctuation or spelling or grammar, any of that, just to write, get their words, and then you can come back and, and clean it up. It's, uh, uh, but you got to read. Uh, I read, uh, I subscribe to two magazines and read one more, and, uh, and I'm a big reader of nonfiction. And I think for anyone that wants to write, you've got to read. You've got to see what's out there. And uh, not copying other people. If it's already said by someone else, don't you say it. But you'll learn from other writers. You'll learn from, you know, you take someone like David Brooks. Uh, you know, you'll learn from him by writing, by reading. So I encourage anyone that uh, wants to, to, to pick it up and do it and, uh, and go for it. Go strong. Oh, boy, those are words of wisdom. And I know my own experience, too, in terms of the importance of reading as you're writing. It's much easier for me to write uh, after I've read something that stimulates my thinking. And your point earlier, too, about don't uh, you used a wonderful phrase, fertilizing your mind, uh, reading diverse perspectives. And I was noting as you were going through the list of 
of journalists and writers, they're not of the same ilk, either in terms of politics or in terms of style, which is good. And then you develop your own voice and your own style. I might mention too, and I should have mentioned this in the intro and I didn't, is that by emphasizing as we are the importance of citizen journalism, we're not in any way undermining the relevance of those who write for a living as professional journalists. Uh, after all, that's the fourth estate of the realm uh, that we read about in high school. It's an important, uh, very important, especially these days. But there's a special uh, status, uh, I think, uh, that those who write as citizens with an expression of their voice in a democracy is so critical to having a vibrant democracy. So, Roger, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to being with us today. I know that anybody who listened learned a lot and they will understand just as I have learned how much to value you and the work that you do. And if there's any advice we give to folks, it's right. <laughs> and if you do, do it like Roger. Appreciate it very much. Any final comments you want to make before we sign off here? Well, I, yeah, Frank, one, one thing that I would like to mention is that um, uh, the Internet, as we all know, is, is a marvelous tool. Uh, and like any tool, it can be used or misused. But if someone's interested, there, there are so many openings now. There's, uh, you know, so many avenues open for people on the Internet to write and to get published. So to get get on the Internet and see what kind of writing people are asking for and uh, and, and get to it because it is out there and it's free. You don't have to pay for it. And and just get used to rejection slips. You, you, you're going to be rejected more than you're going to be accepted. Yeah, true. Absolutely. Thanks for those encouraging words, Roger. And again, thanks for being with us today uh, in this segment of Under the Radar. I'm your host, Frank Fear. I hope our paths will cross again soon.